We know we're recording when Leia starts screaming. That's oh, yeah. kind of the tradition That's now. That's like the alarm for all of, all of us, for all of you. We are recording. The light is on. The candles are lit. It's And we're in the month of October once more. This is Two Girls, Two One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. And I'm Sabrina. Hello. And it's like 6 a.m. here. Hello. And you have bangs. Have Big bangs. things are happening. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love you with bangs. I've already told you this before, but you just remind me so much of Sandra Bullock and Practical Magic whenever you have bangs. Or Nicole Kidman. You just give the Practical Magic vibe. Um, that's the bangs. best compliment in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also reminds me of when you came out and visited a few years ago and you had bangs and we did all the fun spooky things and we're going to do that and again. And I will be out there when this episode comes out. Eee. Yes. Yes, yes you will. will. We have a lot. You told me you have something to tell yes. me. Yes. So, <laughs> so I would like to hear I it. I think we need to first set intentions for this recording again, because mm-hmm. as everyone knows, we are handling some um, darker topics this month, demonic topics, and yes. we have been experiencing some strange things. So I think it's important to write up top before we dabble in the darkness again clear our spaces and say, hey, I agree. Spirit realm. Nothing negative is allowed to enter this space. It is a space of positivity and light. We are stronger than the darkness and we will kick your big asses if you try to come in here. So (laughs) don't. And I know that's not like any real witchy intentions, but um, yeah, Corinne is stronger. I am stronger. This community is stronger. You are not allowed to harm or touch or be near any of us any of us that extends through the whole phantom community and everyone who orbits in our lives because even if someone doesn't listen to the podcast they might live (laughs) with someone who does and in your case sabrina it sounds like nick who doesn't listen to our podcast yeah um okay might be the new target so, okay. I'm glad that I didn't tell you everything right away because there is one thing. Actually, the one thing I did tell you, I think we figured it out. Okay. So, Kryn, you were experiencing things with your Google Home and just feeling strange at your place. So, my sister's in town this past weekend. Yeah, wait. Should we back up and just go from the very sure. beginning to explain in the like order of operations what's happened since our yes, recordings? Yes, important. And then we won't speak of it again Great. after that good. because we don't want to fall to it. Okay. So I think it started episode 191. Yep. We covered the possession of Julia. Yep. And during that, Sabrina, you were hearing things in your – there was like a whooshing, yeah. gurgled noise yep. coming through your headphones towards the end. And what you hadn't said, I don't think on the podcast episode, but you took a video and showed it, is that our recording devices, we use these external recording devices that we literally bought in like 2019 because they were supposed to be like ghost-proof. Yeah. Like we were looking at blogs and it was like, okay, these these recording devices are really good and they're not easy to mess with. And yours started flashing. So like luckily nothing happened to the actual recording, but it was making weird flashes throughout the recording. And then Encounters 151. Ooh, I'm scared to listen to that one. Yeah. 
That one. That's where all this stuff. Es- I'm scared to talk. That's about where all this stuff escalated because at the end of 191, we were having a little bit of like weird things happening, and then it was. But we were like, oh, no big deal. It's yeah. just tech issues that just happen to be happening right now. And then, but then, really scary things started happening in 151. 151. You were re- you were telling someone's story. I can't even remember what the story was about. I mean, it was something demonic. Yeah. But 151, you were reading a story and as that happened i noticed smoke plume right here behind me so i looked because i was like oh are one of my candles did they go out like did that tapered candle burn super quick and i turned around and all of the candles were still lit so i'm not really sure where the smoke came from i should look back at the video and see if you can even see it or if it was like some weird trick that of my eye that i could just see it but these are all dripless candles um i've had them for quite a long time and they consistently don't drip. But on that episode, when I turned around, two of them had dripped really, really dramatically. And one of them, this one back here, had two flames. So the wick had exposed itself exposed along the tapered itself. candle. And there was one <laughs> one flame like towards the middle and one flame at the top of the candle. So there were two flames going. And as I'm taking video and trying to record this, the top flame removes itself from the wick and floats a a lone flame floats like six inches yeah. above the candle and then comes back down and i screamed that rightfully so well i i didn't actually scream we now know what <laughs> noise i make when i'm really scared and it's <laughs> it's kind of like a ghost you're practicing your ghost sound yeah but i sent the video to sabrina we'll post yeah. it it's weird because it feels like a trick of light, but if you actually go really slow, you can see it. It's the the frame is the same. True. While the thing, I only move away once I'm like realizing what's happening. Yeah, and you saw it with your naked eye a couple times too. So and to the hard thing about the end of that episode was as we were recording right after that happened, I'm like looking out here, and there's no way. Like I sit here all the time, and there's no. I'm I'm in an apartment that is high up there's no like lights from cars or anything that that comes through and i literally saw like a baseball sized orb go across and i was like oh of course like no one's gonna even believe me that this happened because this is like all consistently happening so many things in a row in the last five minutes of that recording but it did and then i was like okay this is scary so i did some cleansing and then um my google home which i can say its name because i unplugged <laughs> it because i was getting so scared it kept randomly going off and saying different things as responses yeah. and me and brian would just like look at each other like oh god what's happening and then i unplugged it and then i guess it moved over to your apartment <laughs> yeah um well you also said you were feeling some strange things like you go you were getting like cold spots and like feeling unsettled right yes yeah i was getting a lot of cold like whooshing and feeling like it was like on my body and i also don't normally get scared going to sleep but i i like had brian walk me to the bathroom in the middle of the night because i just felt like there was something here and it made me nervous okay and that was like a few days after recording so it wasn't it wasn't that same night right it just felt bad vibes again. Bad vibes. So I have not felt bad vibes, but my sister like last week called me on Thursday. And was like, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, nothing. And she lives in New Jersey. I live in LA. And I was like, not much really. And she's like, okay, like what if I fly out on Friday? I was like, you mean tomorrow? So she like came, which was so fun. And we had another friend, Matt, stay the night on Friday night. So Lexi and I slept in Nick and I's bed and then Nick and Matt slept in the living room, Nick on an air mattress, Matt on the couch. The next morning I wake up and I like go like snuggle with Nick 
And he goes, I had like a really weird dream, like a scary dream. And he goes to explain that he, in his dream, woke up and couldn't move. And there was like an entity standing on the end of the air mattress. So it was like very specific to where he was, where he was sleeping in the living room. And it like started to crawl on the air mattress onto him. Oh, and it oh God. apparently clutched his hip with its like hand and like dug into him. And then he said he woke up, but still in the dream. And I was like, that wasn't a dream, Nick. But I didn't want to say that because I that wasn't sleep paralysis. Didn't want to scare him. But I didn't want to scare him. And it's he's never had sleep paralysis before, I don't right? Think so does he even know what it is? I don't think he knows what it is, but I don't think so. And he's he was very much like, no, it was a dream. So. I'm going to let him believe that. But then the next night, Nick and I are sleeping in bed and he was, he, so the Vikings were playing at 630 in the morning because they were playing in UK. So he was going to like wake up super early to watch it. So an alarm goes off in the middle of the night and I'm like so tired. We're like all like weird. And Nick's like, what is that? I was like, why, like, why do you set the alarm on the Alexa? The Alexa was going on like an alarm. He goes, I didn't. And I was like, well, you're like, it's your alarm. And he goes, it's 3.40 a.m. And we were both like, okay, that's weird. So like turned it off. We're like laying in bed and I was just like thinking about his dream, thinking about the alarm going off. We didn't set it. And you know how on like Alexa and same with like Google Home, you can go in and look at past commands. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, but it was 3.40 in the morning. So we were just like saying prayers in bed and like <laughs> holding each other really tight. And then... Thank God you didn't look at 3.40. I know. Well, so then I wake up in the morning and I look at the command and it sounds like Nick's voice saying, Alexa, start an alarm for 3.40. But then when I sent it to him, I sent it to you, Corinne, and it does sound like that. But we, my sister, like uh, Nick and I were all sitting talking about it. And um, it does sound like he calls my sister's name, Lexi, and asks her a question. But she heard it as Alexa, start an alarm for 3.40. Oh, okay. But it's weird because, yeah. That would that makes yeah. sense because it's Nick's voice yes. in the recording. The thing with the Alexa that's so freaky is that you can play back the commands and it doesn't just tell you the text. It doesn't just say like what it thinks it heard. Like you actually yeah, you play it. the audio. Yeah. And it does sound like he said send alarm for 6:40. What was so freaky about that too is that you were like we weren't even home for the majority yeah. of the day. So it was like when would he be setting this alarm? But it wasn't that, so that's good. Sleep paralysis. And I don't feel anything weird, so I don't know. <laughs> but we clear, we just set our intentions. So as we go into this episode, yes, we did. Um, we'll be okay. I am about to share a story of possession, but this is no ordinary possession. It is not a story of dabbling with Ouija boards or the darker side of the veil. It is a story of demonic warfare on a group of people that we would presume, most people would presume, are among the safest group of people from possessions. Mm -hmm. It is the possession of an entire convent of Ursuline nuns. This is the story of the Loudun possessions, known in France as Affaire de Possesse de Loudun, Possessed of Loudun Affair. I feel like this is so perfectly timed because last episode, didn't I ask the question, has there ever been a priest or anyone that's been possessed within the church? And I feel like this is your answer to that question. Yes. Yes. Yes, it has. One thousand percent. It's honestly, it it is a soap opera of a story. It takes so many twists and so many turns, and it's kind of the most notorious episode of mass possession, or not the most. I can't say the most, but it's a very big episode of mass possession that took place in Loudun, which was Kingdom of France, in 1634. An entire convent of nuns 
were visited and possessed by demons. And I will give a disclaimer. That's so many people. This possession did turn into a massive witch hunt and ended in some deaths that are questionable if they should have been killed. But before I get into the actual story, it's important to understand the time and place. Where are we? When are we? It's France, 17th century. King Henry IV is assassinated and succeeded by his eldest son, Louis XII. He exiles his mother and takes control of the government. And then when he dies, his five-year-old son takes over and a series of civil wars break out. A five-year-old. There's a bit of turmoil. and (laughs) They're still like pooping their pants in school at that point. But I guess that child was not in school. It was ruling a kingdom. Yes, I bet there, I think there was a, um, like someone speaking on his behalf type of thing. Oh, 1000%. He didn't make any real decisions. King Joffrey and Game of Thrones, just like being king. So when this happens, there's a series of civil wars that break out and a bit of turmoil and unrest in the country. It's also, um, you know, like Catholicism versus Protestants. And there's just some, you know, mm. some um, schism, schisms, schisms, cataclysms. <laughs> Why do- sure. There's tension. Yeah. <laughs> That's a much better way to say it. <laughs> it's early for me, you guys. Okay. It's also the peak of France's witchcraft hunt, witch hunt. So prior to the Salem witch trials, prior to the witch hunt ever coming to the Americas, they were running wild and rampant in Europe. And this story begins not in Loudun, but in Ion Provence, France. And this is just like a little like story to set the scene, let you know what's going on. This case actually kind of set the precedent for a lot of cases in France. And that's why I'm sharing it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in Ion Provence, there was a young French aristocrat. Her name was Madeleine de Demandois de la Palude. I'm probably not saying that right, but I feel like it was nice to use my French accent. Sounds good to me. She was 17 years old, and in 1607, Madeline entered into the Ursuline convent at Marseille. Upon entering, she confessed to the superior nun that she had been sexually intimate with the parish priest, Father Louis Gofridi. As you can imagine, this was a scandal. So much so that they, you know, hey, the church has a history of doing this. Kept it really quiet. Hush, hush. So instead of dealing with the Father Louis, the superior nun sends young Madeline to Ion Province to put some distance between her and the father. But about a year later, in the summer of 1609, Madeline begins to exhibit convulsions. She became enraged. She would shake and speak other languages. It appeared that Madeline was being possessed. To make matters worse, this condition became contagious, and the other nuns at the convent began experiencing similar convulsions, and it just got worse from there. There were attempts to exorcise the demons that seemed to be inhabiting the nuns of Ion Province, but each and every exorcism was unsuccessful. Madeline and other nuns were referred to two Dominican experts, and they one of them actually, like Sebastian Michaelis, I think, basically wrote the book on demon classifications. So in the winter of 1610, these women are taken to St. Baum, the holy cave where, according to legend, Mary Magdalene herself had once lived. And they're like, if they can't be exercised properly in this holy cave, we don't know what we're doing. So they're taken here for another exorcism attempt. And once again, it failed. And instead, Madeline and another nun, Louise Capot, were tormented, speaking in deep voices, screaming obscenities. And they were unable to be cleansed of the darkness within them. And at one point during the exorcism, Madeline claimed that Father Louis had seduced her and caused her to become possessed. So this is the priest who she confessed to being sexually active with before she even went to the convent in Ion Province. Mm. 
So when that was kind of proclaimed in this exorcism, it began a witch hunt, one that focused very much on Father Louis. And I won't go into so many details, but there is a lot more information about this possession case if people are interested. It's just a setup right now for the story I really want to tell, which is the possession at Ludon. But there's a lot that it's like this whole case is like he said, she said, demon said, you don't really know what's happening or what's real. You kind of, I feel like at this point, people are believing the possessed, kind of like the witch hunts. Right. And also the time period at the time, like, but even still today, I feel like there's a lot of frustration and tension, I guess, when discussing what people in those positions should be able to do when it comes to their sexuality their wellness, their decisions to be in certain relationships. Like it's super faux pas. Yeah. And it was also the freaking 1600s yes. and like the plague. Chaos. So, yeah. <laughs> things were happening. So, yes. So the father, Louis Goffredi, was being protected by the church. But then Louise Capot, who's the other nun who was possessed with Madeline, continues to accuse Goffredi of worshiping Satan. And she claims in these exorcisms that she's possessed by a devil named Varine. And she also was caught telling a lot of different stories and lies. And when she was caught, the demon would take over and say, the devil is the father of lies. And that's like a famous quote that she said. Crowds would come from all over to watch attempts at exercising these two nuns, which turned more into interrogations. And eventually Madeline herself confessed that confessed that what Louise was saying was true. So now these two women are both accusing the priest of being a devil worshiper and possessing them. And so they couldn't ignore it anymore. And Father Louis Graffiti is tortured and interrogated until he confessed. He, you know, a forced confession, as we know now, he said he signed a confession admitting that he made a pact with the devil and possessed the nuns and he was sentenced to death by fire. And as we've heard with the Salem witch trials, one confession was never enough. And then, you know, everyone, the inquisitors are all like, who are the accomplices? We know that there were more like you couldn't have done this by yourself. And yeah, so a lot of other people are like dragged into this. And well, and too, I I remember hearing that people were fleeing too, because they were they were afraid that they were going to have fingers pointed at them. So people were literally just picking up their whole lives and moving for fear of being roped into yes. this and and being said that they also commune with the devil and you and being killed you have essentially no, they're running away from the potential of being killed no way of knowing if you were going to be accused you know like your name could have come up because someone you know knows someone else who mentioned your name you know like it's just there's no right no one's safe no one's safe i yeah. mean for god's sakes it's like the priest and the nuns are getting possessed and finger pointing at each other that's that's truly like the last people you would ever expect yes. so I would be, I'd be moving too if I were anyone <laughs> Into else the woods. in that time period. Let me out of here. Into the woods we go. Which is not suspicious or anything. That doesn't throw more shade on me. <laughs> so anyway, Father Louis Gaffredi is, I mean, his execution date is coming up closer and closer. And of course, now he's like trying and desperately trying to prove to people that he's innocent, but he had already made a confession. Mm-hmm. Even though it was forced, it was too late for him. And on April 30th of 1611, Gafridi asked pardon of God and was handed over to torturers for his execution. And this is really sad. He was tortured through strapado and squazation. And for those of you who are not well-versed in uh, historical methods of torture, I wasn't, sadly. Strapado is a form. Sadly. <laughs> That's like something I want to know more of, you know, like museum of torture okay. stuff. I just want, like, I want it like stored right in here in this part of my brain. Got to go to like the Museum of Torture or something. Yeah, I need to. Learn all about it. So strapado is a form of torture where the victim's hands are tied behind the back 
and are suspended by a rope attached to their wrists, which usually results in dislocated shoulders. And then weight is often added to the body to increase the pain. And usually it doesn't last more than an hour and a lot of people die from the pain. But Father Graffiti did not. He was still alive. So the executioners drag him through the streets of Ayam Province for five hours before taking him to his execution. A priest granted him mercy and they ended up strangling him to death before burning his body at the stake. But Mm -hmm. the moment, apparently the moment he was executed, Madeleine de Mandois was free of her demons and no longer possessed. Louise Capot, on the other hand, remained possessed until she died. And these two women were both kicked out of the convent. And Madeline later in life was accused of witchcraft herself twice and imprisoned and herself. So like no one was safe. Yeah. Well, and also makes me wonder if she was suddenly not possessed because she probably looked at what just happened to the priest, literally being brutally tortured and murdered and thought, oh, shit, if I can't rid myself of this demon after he's gone, Maybe they'll just put me in the fire too yeah. to get rid of this possession. Like who's to say that that you will be looked at as someone worthy of being saved and all of these resources will go into exercising you? I don't know. It seems so unpredictable at that time. Like You have no idea. Why didn't they just take everyone who was possessed and kill no them? No idea. That's a, it's a terrible thought, but also a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. So that case was called the Aeon Province Possessions, and it set the legal precedent for many possession witch hunt cases to come. And just 20 years later, another convent of Ursuline nuns was visited and possessed by dozens of demons. That convent was in Ludun. So just as a little bit of context, in the 1600s, Ludun was a notable town full of churches and religious homes and was a setting for a meeting place between Protestants and the Catholics in an attempt to reconcile the two. So there were a lot of both religions being practiced in that area. It seemed like they were living Mm -hmm. in harmony, as we know from history. In Europe, everywhere kind of, the dueling religions was never really harmonious in this time. Mm -hmm. And then in in May of 1632, a, the plague had ravished and destroyed the city of Ludun, claiming nearly 4,000 lives. And as the city was suffering, about 17 nuns and 10 other religious men, women, lay people were quarantining in the new Ursuline convent of Ludun. Yeah. And I had learned too that the plague coming through had basically ravaged the mm-hmm. whole town. And the people that were medical professionals that had been there basically put their hands up and were like, okay, we're, we did what we could. We're moving on. And so this town was essentially abandoned when it came to any medical help. So people had no choice but to quarantine to try to protect themselves yes. because there was no additional help outside of the walls of the convent. Yeah, there's nothing to do. Um, and, you know, we just come out of a pandemic ourselves. We're kind of still, you know, there's a lot of repercussions we're feeling from it. But we quarantined. We know that feeling. It's but we have Netflix mm-hmm. and we have thing games, things we can do. They did not. Right. So here are these Oh my gosh. Nuns and religious people who are just quarantining for days on end with very little to do. They're praying, they're fasting. Some could say they are descending into a little bit of madness. But who am I to say? So things I mean, let's think about it. Even with technology and everything at our fingertips, I think all of us felt a little bit of that. Yes, yeah, creeping crazy. in. Yeah. Ooh, man. So lots of therapy was had in 2020. <laughs> yes. So things take a very interesting turn on the night of September 22nd, 1632. The nuns had all gone to bed and were in deep slumber when one woman, Sister Marthe de Saint-Monique, a junior nun, awoke to a man at the foot of her bed. 
But this was not an intruder. The man was translucent, hunched over, reading from a white book. Mart's mm-hmm. terrified. She's just like, what the heck is happening? And then she's looking at this man at the foot of her bed and she has a sudden realization. She knew this man. It was Prior Mousseau, the priest who took confessions at the convent. So Mousseau is reading from his book, pleading for Mart's help, which is weird enough. There's a man in her room. She's in a convent. Like That shouldn't happen. But weirder than that is this man, Mousseau, he's dead. He died a couple weeks ago. Oh, God. So Mart is terrified, understandably. Mousseau is begging for her to pray for him, claiming that he's in terrible pain. And Mart is horrified, doesn't know what to do. Mousseau offers her the book and she's like, no, no, no. Like, I can't take it. I don't want this. I don't know what's going on. I feel super unsettled. She's trusting her gut. It's just getting bad vibes. So Mart sits there apparently for three hours, terrified as Mousseau continues to weep and pray and beg her for help. Three hours. And also all while like trying to get her to read from this creepy book too. Like not only does he have it, but he was trying to get her to read yes. from the book. So at the end of these three hours, Mousseau just simply fades away. Poof, goodbye. And then the next morning, Mart and the sisters are all, I'm imagining, like at this long table eating breakfast, some porridge. And <laughs> Mart tells the story. Turns out Mart wasn't the only one visited by Mousseau. Two other nuns had similar encounters with him that night prior. So three people at, that we know of all had the same encounter the night before with Musso. He had offered them the book. Which this is, for for that many people, he passed away two weeks prior. So already I don't, I don't know what I would do in this scenario. I would feel so conflicted yeah. because clearly he's begging all of the nuns and the people that he knows for help. But that's if you trust that this is actually his spirit. Because part of me would be really, I would just be really suspicious of the intentions knowing now that everyone was visited basically yeah. or multiple people were visited and being begged to look at this mystery yes. book it's like well what are you trying to do well, to and us? It's, like a, it's not a bible it's like a white book that they've never seen before and and clearly mm-hmm. they all got bad vibes enough to be like no i don't want to read your book and also there's also a very real possibility one of them did read the book and just claimed they didn't you know we don't know like right just saying. Yeah, that's a good point. So, because once you're, you're at that breakfast table and you think everyone's about to share the same details you did, and then suddenly everyone's like, well, of course I refused. And you're like, oh shit, did I yeah, screw up did there? I mess up? Like, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't read that book. I definitely told him no. Yes. That would be, <laughs> I can see why people would say that they didn't. Yeah. And also for three hours, if this guy's doing the same thing for three hours, like at some point you, you're, I, my resolve would probably thin at a certain point and be like, fine, just give me the freaking book, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what we, this is one of those things where I wish we could go back in time and just for like one day be that person and, and figure out what would we what would do in that scenario. And I just want to be like a little fly on the wall and go to each room. And see how the different yeah, nuns react. That's better than actually being one of them. Because what if you get stuck? Well, that's that's a kind of a possession, isn't it? We would be going back to possess them. Yeah. And what if we actually started the whole chain of we events? We possess them. Yeah. And then we get possessed. Yeah. And we can- <laughs> but as them. And there's like f- five people in this one person, basically. Well, there might be more. <clears throat> so the women are scared. But Mousseau never appeared again. So they're like, eh. But that's not the end of the story. This is only the beginning. Soon after this first unsettling encounter, more strange and disturbances begin to take place. Mm. And these experiences were not limited to the three women who first experienced Mousseau. No. Within the next few weeks, everyone in the nunnery began to experience strange phenomena. Everyone. That's a massive amount of people. And holy people. Yes. 
who've made deals with God and should basically be the most protected of anyone, you would think. Although I will caveat that with saying, here's one thing that makes me a little bit more suspicious of, <laughs> I'm not trying to attack religions or or, uh-huh. or churches or or anything like that in this moment, but people always say the more you talk about spirits or <laughs> the darkness, the more you open yourself up to them. And that is half of what they do, right? And us. It's like talking about well, and us We're basically too. But like, I, I kind of get why so many religious places of worship end up being very haunted yes. because people are constantly talking about and thinking about both sides, mm-hmm. the light and the dark. And so who's to say that you're protected just because you talk so much about the lightness right. from the dark? We've also talked about like we've seen a lot of or read and heard a lot of encounters with demons or possessions where they do target very religious people because it's like a challenge for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd hear voices in the night. They'd feel hands pushing and slapping them. And slowly it would bleed from night into day. And some of the nuns were struck with uncontrollable bouts of laughter. One nun even reported waking <laughs> up to a giant black orb slamming into her body and knocking her to the ground. Oh, That makes me think it's trying to possess her. It's trying to go in her. But then things escalate even further. When another spectral man appears to the mother superior of the Luden convent, Jeanne Dezengs. This time, though, this man, it's not Musso. And he's not appearing begging for help. It's a different man. And he is seeking something much more illicit and damning. Keep in mind, nuns and priests take Mm. oaths of celibacy. And um, this man appears at the end of... Jean's bed asking for sex. And I mean, some would say that's that's a sex dream. Sure, sure. Yes. But apparently it was like a bit more like the experience with Mousseau where like a man is appearing, you know. And so this happens. And this is the sister superior, mother, mother Jean. And she's like, I'm not giving you sex, sir. Let's imagine that's what I think the conversation was. At least she's not right now. <laughs> no, thank you. And I'm sure like, you know, maybe, Corinne, you're thinking sex dream. Other people are maybe thinking incubus, succubus, you know, a sex demon. But who is this man spirit? Or how about you've been locked away for 10 months and your mind just starts to wander about what other things life has to offer and what you could be doing to spend your time. Yes. But this man begins appearing more and more. He's appearing to more of the nuns, not just to Mother Jean. And as the days went on, the nuns began portraying worse and worse symptoms, convulsions. They would shake and they'd convulse after taking communion. They'd laugh hysterically during mass. And it was as if something within them were explicitly denying the Catholic religion and practices. It was only a matter of time before word spread throughout Ludun and priests from various religions and towns came to witness and help exercise the nuns. It was only a matter of time before word spread throughout Ludun and priests from various religions and towns came to witness and help exercise the nuns. By the end of the first month, over 14 exorcisms by multiple priests had taken place, and yet the nuns of Luton Convent remained possessed. Mm. That's so many exorcisms. So That's wild. An entire month of, of exorcisms. This was just like regular practice. Every day they wake up and they get exercised, basically. Yes. I would need more emotional and mental support. So it's one month, 14 exorcisms, and there's a Protestant pastor in Ludun, Nicholas Oban, and he wrote of the affair. So I'm going to read a quote from him. Okay. And this is like, he's there for all these exorcisms. 
struck their chests and backs with their heads as if their necks broken, and with inconceivable rapidity, they twisted their arms at the joints of the shoulder, the elbow or the wrist, two or three times around. Lying on their stomachs, they joined the palms of their hands to the soles of their feet. Their faces became so frightful, one could not bear to look at them. Their eyes remained opened without winking. Their tongues issued suddenly from their mouths, horribly swollen, black, hard, and covered in pimples. And yet, while in this state, they spoke distinctly. They threw themselves back until their heads touched their feet and walked in this position with wonderful rapidity. They uttered cries so horrible and so loud that nothing like it was heard ever before. They made use of expressions so indecent as to shame the most debauched of men, while their acts, both in exposing themselves and inviting lewd behavior from those present, would have astonished the inmates of the lowest brothels in the country. There's a lot, a lot to unpack. So basically they're, yeah, they're contorting themselves into these wildly sexual positions. That, and they're also just contorting, it seems like they're, this is... The part of the story that, yes, I acknowledge the witch hunt that is happening in France and in Europe, but again, the physical impossibilities that they are manipulating their bodies into is... Right. This isn't a convent of Cirque du Soleil trained trained nuns. Like, normal people can't do that. Like, especially a group of people. Like, maybe one nun has this crazy flexible talent, but for the entire convent... Yes. Bending their bodies back so their heads are by their feet and walking like that. And then like, oh, it's just so many things. How do people's muscles not snap when they're being contorted that way? I guess in some scenarios, they probably do. Yeah, probably. You know, that's why people get really injured during possessions. Yeah. And during these exorcisms, these women, all of whom had taken that oath of celibacy and devoted their lives to God and the church are now acting in lewd sexual ways, coming on to the priests and the onlookers who came to assist the exorcisms. They're bending in impossible ways as if breaking their necks, backs, and arms. Doctors and healers came to examine the women, and all of them agreed it was beyond their ability. There was no human explanation. And also, this is such a weird fact, their heart rates apparently never rose during the possessions, which is wild. So they're that bending, is they're screaming. For how much movement? And their heart rates are staying consistent. Right. Also, who took the heart rates? Because that would be a scary position to be in. Yeah, I mean. To watch these people like writhe with pain and then you have to go up and be like, all right, one, <laughs> two, three. And like use your little timer. <laughs> they're like growling at you with their pimply black yeah. tongues. I mean, everyone is, it seems like there's so many people who are called in to help with these exorcisms. And the nuns are speaking words they shouldn't have any knowledge of. They're also saying things about the priests and people who were there that no one should know. They're speaking in Latin. and Right. And this was not a language no. known to them. The nuns had memorized prayers in Latin, but had no understanding of how, like, the conjunction and how to actually formulate real sentences in the language outside of what they had memorized. Yeah. yeah. So they're speaking a language that they don't know. They're knowing things that they shouldn't know about people who were there. The typical terrifying possession stuff. These exorcisms were so intense and sometimes happening twice a day for weeks and yet nothing helped. And, you know, this is now becoming a spectacle. Everyone knows about the Ludon nuns who are possessed. Crowds are gathering. And then Corinne, 
Similar to a story you shared last week, Jean and another nun, Sister Claire, are seen levitating in the air for a full 15 minutes. And they would go from lying flat on the ground, like, you know, like if you're sleeping in your bed on your back, lying flat, but on the ground. Yeah. All of a sudden they would rise like vampires without bending any joint, anything. They would just rise. Wait, can I tell you a really quick scary anecdote? When I was like 11, I slept walked at my grandparents' house after attending an Aaron Carter conference or conference concert. (laughs) And (laughs) I like to think that I went to like a symposium all about Aaron Carter. I was like the keynote speaker. No, it was a concert, but I was, I was uh, sleepwalking after and my mom caught me trying to like run out of the house. And she brought me back into the room and put me down on the bed. And she said, she said it was very scary. I was laying fully on, on the bed and I rose exactly like that, like a full plank back up. And she said she was scared shitless. She shoved <gasps> me back on the bed and then got on top of me and held me down. Uh, so maybe I was possessed. <laughs> My poor mom. I don't remember it, but she scored. <laughs> yeah, she's like, that was the scary horrifying. part. It wasn't you trying to escape. It was you like straight up rising like a plank. You, like to your feet. Yeah. What the? And then I was trying to leave How? again. I was trying to run Holy. out, run out the door. You, 100. And my mom's a little person. Like I could eat my mom for breakfast. I've got, I've got a hundred pounds on that chick. Corinne, this is so the So she most... had to, she, well, I guess I was small at that time, but like she was really using all of her weight to keep the... me down until I eventually like fell back to sleep. I'm so sad for your mom. I'm so sorry and sympathetic for your mom, but she had to deal with with you. You were yeah, a horrifying child. <laughs> As you're just cackling over so, there like, ha ha ha, you're going to, you're going to have a very scary child one day. <laughs> It was long enough ago, and I, I don't, I wasn't possessed when I woke up. So just oh for a my moment, gosh. but yeah, my mom was like, "That was not a, not a good night for sure." Yeah, that's horrifying. And also, I just don't understand physics of that. Like, how did your body do that? How did the nuns' bodies do that? Right. It makes no sense. Which makes me think: Are we capable of much more? Can we fly? And we just don't know. And somehow, I tapped into something in my brain that made me be able to defy gravity and. And everything that we know in science. That's a nicer version than the possibility of you being possessed because that's where possession. I'm leaning towards. Okay. So after these episodes, after all these possessions and exorcisms happening, still they're still all possessed. The exorcisms are not working. But there's some moments of clarity kind of similar to the Julia, Julia story that you shared last week. But when there was clarity, these women, the nuns, had no recollection of what had happened. And then during the possessions and the exorcisms, the demons start giving their names. And by the end of it, the priests have a list of over 46 demons. 46. I don't even know. I know like four demons names. That's crazy. So I'm going to read a couple of them, but I'm going to do my best in the continuation of the story, not to say them over and over, but there are like certain places where specific demons are speaking. So I'm just to do the story properly. I am going to say them, but again, safe space, positivity, light. Yes. Okay. Call upon our spirit guides to protect us. Yes, please. Show yourself. So there's 46 demons. I'm just going to read a couple. Admodius, Isaacaron, Azeroth, Behemoth, Sidon. If you're feeling freaky deaky, there's a whole list online. You can look it up. Mm-hmm. Well, the first demon's name that you just said was the one from last week, too, who had taken up Camp and Julia. Yeah. So that's another thing. These it's things like, are ancient. Yeah, these are ancient demons. And like also 46 of them. Mm-hmm. They flocked to this convent. 
And apparently... Well, and also, you mentioned this before about how for the first month there were, were professionals brought in to witness and help with the exorcisms. But, like, eventually it became so intense that they did start doing the exorcisms outside of the convent yes. in, like, the town square so that the entire public yeah, so could witness all of this. Yeah. The, that that happens in, yes, they, like, build a stage. Oh, sorry. I'm skipping No, no, forward. no, it's okay. No, but they do. Like Continue it, on the correct timeline. <laughs> they do. They build a stage and, like, people gather. It's like, it's like the town – it's like Shakespeare in the park, but exorcisms in the town square. Right. So it's like, oh, 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. We've got a showing. <laughs> exactly. Don't be late. Every day, you know what you're doing. So apparently Mother Jean had seven demons living within her, and they were taking up residency in different parts in her body. So like one demon was in her arm, another one was in her other arm, one was in her leg, which I never thought about that. But that also makes sense that their bodies are bending in impossible ways if different demons are controlling different parts of the body. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It, well, you bring, you're making me think, what if there is conflict within the demons that possess someone themselves? Like, I was thinking that that they would probably work towards a common goal and be somewhat harmonious. But what if it is something where, like, they're, they're conflicted within the being yeah. that is the human being and trying to each be, like, the front person? And so what right. if there is a battle amongst the demons while simultaneously having this battle for your own soul. Like, that's so terrifying to think of. It's so terrifying. Oh, it's horrifying. And to make matters even worse, during one of these exorcisms, and keep in mind, this is like months of exorcism. So it's not like, oh, in the first day of exorcisms, this happened. It's months later. Mm -hmm. A demon who went by the name Zabulon spoke to the priests who were performing the exorcisms in a terrifying and mocking manner and informed them that he and his fellow demon buddies were invited here by another priest. So the betrayal. Naturally, all of these priests are like, excuse me, Zabu demon say what? But this demon refuses to share any further information. I imagine he probably like maniacally laughed and was like, ha 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 ha. And then like did some neck breaking stuff and disappeared. So keep in mind, like I said, these exorcisms are going on for days, weeks, months. Nothing is working. And these priests are desperate. And they've also just come out of a devastating plague. Ludun is crumbling. So this is like life and death for this town. It's a battle for the souls of these nuns, and it's a battle for the safety and heart of this town. Like, if they can't save these nuns, and they couldn't save these poor innocent souls from the plague, it just feels so helpless. Right. And these priests so are- who do you go to after that? There's nothing you can do. These priests are mm -hmm. begging the demons to reveal who summoned them, because they're like, if they summon, if they figure out who did it, maybe they can- put an end to it, you know. And they're like, who is this priest that they speak of? And I'm sure they're like probably looking at one another. Like, is it one among us? Is it you, the person right next to me, the person I've been working with on these exorcisms? Is that why the exorcisms haven't been working? Right, inside job. So finally, on October 11th, a demon named Astaroth finally reveals the name of the priest who summoned them. That was Urban Grandier. And he is a real man. A man that according to one article, and I couldn't confirm it in multiples, that a man that at, that no one at the Ludun convent had ever met before. Hmm. But the one thing that I don't know about this is Urban did live in Ludun and like was a lot in like that circle. He is a priest. So like, I don't really know how they wouldn't have known him. Anyway, apparently they didn't know him. Right. And he had quite the reputation quite. as well. So yes, I would imagine that there would be some gossip that they'd hear I about agree. him. So who the heck was Urban? He was a bit, as you said, Corinne, he was a contentious figure in Ludun. He was charming, 
eloquent, but also extremely arrogant. I'm sure we all know and are bun in our own lives. I won't name names. Is it me? People, and it's not <laughs> you. <laughs> you are extremely charming, but you're not arrogant. Charming, but a total dick. <laughs> <laughs> huge head, huge head. So people either loved him or like deeply despised him. He was just a very right. polarizing human. But he's also a priest. He's this worldly priest who had traveled quite a bit prior to settling in Luton. And he had some like more liberal beliefs in terms of the church. And despite his vow of celibacy, he fancied the favor of rich widows. He would sleep around quite a bit and, um, you know, become their spiritual advisors, mm-hmm. aka it was an excuse to show up at their house, like in the middle of the night, basically, any time of the day, go to their bedrooms and advise them in a relationship of nudity and sex. Yeah. And he believed that priests should be able to marry too. So he was so such a fan of sex that he started a pamphlet against priests being celibate. Like he was trying mm-hmm. to make a movement of like, priests don't need to be celibate. And they should be right. able to marry. And he's just like, you know, going around having sex with a bunch and of people. And also probably so, catching the attention of everybody because some of his beliefs and his practices within Catholicism tended to lean and agree a little bit more with Protestants as well. So yes. he was really right in the line in between the two. Yes. So when the demons rat out Urban, everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense because Urban sucks and he already is straying away from God. Like if he's pro-sex, then like he's not really pro-church. So once that name is spoken, the nuns all agree that this is the spectral being who appeared to them wanting to have sex with them. And then the nuns begin having strange sexual desires for Urban. Like, to the point where apparently they like all climbed into a tree in the convent for four days with no food and water, calling his name, waiting for Urban to come to them. Which literally. I need to see a picture of this guy because if he was <laughs> sleeping around the whole town, if everybody wanted him to spend the night, it makes me think that maybe he was this incredibly sexy guy. And perhaps, yeah, they got a little into their fantasy and really hyped each other up. And we're like, you know, isn't it fun to think about having sex and having sex with this guy that clearly is pleasuring everybody and fulfilling everyone's needs spiritually and physically? He sounds like (laughs) the right guy, right? Right. But I also do feel like the way that they're behaving, the like intensity, the the revealing themselves and being like, Urban, like come. Literally. Right. It it is a <laughs> literally. <laughs> it's an obsessive possessive. And it does feel like and this is what all the priests who are trying to perform the exorcisms are thinking is like, Urban has sent these demons to them to possess them to want him. So like mm-hmm. it feels Again, an extension of the Well, four days without food or water, that's wild too. Like who would ever be able to oh, yeah. make themselves man, do that? No man is worth that. No, ladies. that's like bringing yourself to the brink of death. I don't think you can survive exactly. more than like five days without water or something like that. Right. So then the church is like, okay, well, we need to get proof of Urban's sor- sorcery. And as this is happening, the head of the Catholic Church in France and minister to King Louis Thirteenth. Cardinal Richelieu, who apparently is a bad guy from Three Musketeers. I haven't seen it, so I don't know, or read it. I don't know. Mm. So Richelieu hears of Urban's involvement, and he's like, I hate that man. Apparently they had, like, some beef in the past. And so Richelieu is, like, super excited because he thinks this is his way to finally get Urban. So he sends a baron to investigate. And this is – keep in mind, this is almost a year after the possession started. A full year. 
So it's now December 7th, 1633, and Richelieu's baron bursts into Urban's home in Loudun looking for evidence of sorcery. He finds dirty poems, his celibacy pamphlet, and another pamphlet where Urban tries to write why he couldn't be summoned. He couldn't be the one who summoned the demons, which hmm. to the baron makes Urban seem guiltier. It's kind of like, oh, why is he trying so hard to profess his innocence? Right. It is a bit backwards. So they arrest Urban and throw him in jail where he sits and sits. And like I said, it's been a full year and these nuns are still possessed. And it's probably more than a year at this point. There's 17 nuns and 10 laypersons noted being possessed. That's 27 people. And like I said, like you said, it becomes a spectacle. They build a stage in the town square. People are gathering for the exorcisms. And in the spring of 1634, Mother Superior Jean is led on stage in chains. A demon speaks through her during the exorcism claiming that Urban had made a blood pact with a demon named Leviathan. This demon takes it one step further and makes it a scavenger hunt and goes, hey, everyone who's watching, that pact, that document is somewhere nearby. So naturally, all these onlookers are like tearing apart the area, looking for it. And the demon through John is telling them that it's spattered in blood, but nothing's found that time. And then there's another exorcism where Leviathan Leviathan himself comes through and tells them to look under a specific bishop who's in the town square. Sure enough, under that man, yeah, that man like picks up his foot and finds a parchment of paper oh, by his okay. boot. It is the blood-soaked pact written in Latin backwards, signed by Urban, Asmodeus, Leviathan, and many other demons. Would sure. you like to see it? If you're watching on YouTube, you'll get to see the... Ooh, okay. All right, here's so the thing. The signatures kind of look like a different person has written them. Oh, You totally know, sometimes when there's forgery, you're like, okay, this is pretty much the same style. But it's... I'm no, I'm no handwriting expert, but that does seem like there's multiple These, like, people. I'm going to zoom into like Demons. Like that. Oh, yep. Creepy. It is funny to me that demons have, like, worked on their signatures. You know how, like, when yeah. you're younger, you're just, like, working on it. It's like, oh, what does my signature want to look like? Like, these yeah. are very specific. Or I'm like, thinking demons, about, like, like, when you go to Disney World and, and you have the autograph book and you go to each of the characters. Yeah. And like, Goofy, will you sign my book? Eeyore, will you sign my book? And now I'm just picturing that for demons. demons. Where they all have their, like, little thing and they're like, Mow. Yeah, I mean, I guess they've Take been living picture. for millenniums so they're just like sitting at home on their you know floating desks with, with like the rich mahogany and practicing their signatures their quill pen know. yeah it's, it is curious too that they would just sign it in pen i don't know why i was thinking like just burning it into the it book may, might be a preferred method of signature like right yeah just branding it so it's written in latin backwards and there's you know People have, um, what's the word? Not transcribed, but like, what's the thing? Translated? Translated, thank you. (laughs) So it says, and this is just a part of it, but it says, We, the influential Lucifer, the young Satan, Beelzebub, Leviathan, and there's a couple other demons, together with other demons, have today accepted the coveted pack with Urban Grandier, who as of today is ours. So the demons in the possessions through the exorcisms are saying, the blood on the parchment on the paper came from Urban's left thumb that he cut open his thumb to mark the pages with his blood. So Urban's sitting in prison and they go check him. And sure enough, there's a scar in the exact same spot that the demon had claimed. Man, everybody's pointing their fingers at him. Yes. The demons, the nuns. Everyone. So this is their smoking gun, proof that Urban is in cahoots with the devil. To make matters worse, the demons tell the priests during exorcisms 
that they need to test Urban's body for places that do not hurt or bleed because it's further proof of his pact. So this is horrible. They bring a bunch of doctors into Urban's cell and it's kind of very similar to me, like mentally, you know, during the witch hunt in America's, they would, you know, tie a weight to a, hu- to a woman or to a human and throw them in the water. And if they sunk, they weren't a witch, but if they came back up, they were, but if they sunk, then they're already dead. Then they're dead. It's a lose-lose. Yeah. yeah. So these ba- these doctors basically go into the prison and torture Urban. They stick him with long pins, sometimes all the way down to his bones. And no. he's like screaming in pain. He's bleeding in every spot. Oh. But apparently, keep in mind, they're probably doing this for hours. But apparently the doctors are like, yeah. there are certain spots where he didn't scream enough. Therefore, the demons were right. Okay. All right. It's your freaking body giving up and trying to protect you from what's happening. It's kind of like... Didn't scream enough. You know how our judicial system, which, you know, has its own set of problems, but like it's very much like innocent until proven guilty. So I just feel like they are, they've made up their minds already, but they're just like torturing him for the sake of torturing him. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot more psychological stuff to it, but... So despite, and keep in mind, Urban has never said he's guilty. He's never confessed to this. He's claiming his innocence over and over and over. And despite that, he's sentenced to death. And they look to the Ion Provence case, which I told you about in the beginning, for legal clarity, and they decide that they have enough to convict him. Urban is guilty. On August 18th of 1634, the sentence was pronounced, and this is a quote, We have ordered and do order the said Urban Grandier duly tried and convicted of the crime of magic, malefsia, of causing demoniacal possession of several Ursuline nuns of this town of Loudun, as well as of other secular women together with other charges and crimes resulting therefrom. Another quote. He sentenced to death, to death, for reparation of which we have condemned and do condemn the said Grandier to make honorable amend his head bare, a rope round his neck, holding in his hand a burning pitch firebrand weighing two pounds, before the principal door of the church of St. Pierre du Marche, and before that of St. Ursula of this town, there on his knees to ask pardon of God, the king, and the law. This done, he is be- to be taken to the public square of St. Croix, and fastened to a stake on a scaffold, which shall be erected on said place for this purpose, and there to be, be burned alive, with the packs and magic figures remaining with the clerk of the court, together with the book written by his hand, composed against the celibacy of priests, and his ashes scattered to the wind. So he's basically going to be burnt with his pamphlet. Jesus. That's so dark. People are so... But before that... Wait, I have yes. a question. Where... I thought I'd heard that the nuns were also tortured in various ways, that pretty much everybody involved. Yes. I mean, if you, so these exorcisms kind of start turning into interrogations, like very similar to the Ion Provence thing. It's like, again, mm-hmm. like, and even here, like before Abran is executed, they're like, we need your accomplices. We need to know more. And they just basically keep putting the nuns, they keep putting Urban through these torturous days and experiences, hoping to learn more. Yeah. I heard that it's like some of, I mean, there's a lot that's super brutal. The example you gave with the needles is disturbing, but I'd heard they use heat to essentially shatter bones as well. And then there was one that was really freaking gross where they they would hold people's mouths open and force them to drink a ton of water, like basically the amount that should kill you. But the water was mixed with other stuff, such as 
human urine and feces and basically just made them drink bile. Oh, I didn't hear that. It's like human centipede, very much so, but in the 1600s, which is so crazy. If these nuns, to take like the devil's advocate side for a second, if everyone's like, oh, they were just being so fantastical, they were making all of this stuff up, they just wanted attention, why would they ever continue to agree that they are possessed when they are being themselves brutally injured? Horribly. Tortured. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's pretty awful. Yeah, tortured. It is. And Urban, again, he's like continuing to profess his innocence, and yet they torture him. They first torture him with Spanish boots, which are fitted wooden cuffs that squeeze your legs until your bones are about to break. Again, Urban continues to profess his innocence. They shatter his legs. Again, he continues to profess his innocence. Then they bring him to his execution, which Urban is terrified that death by fire will not allow him to go into heaven. So they agree to hang him first. They carry him and literally have to carry him like full like baby carry, fireman carry. Actually, fireman carries over the shoulder, isn't it? So baby carry. Mm Mm-hmm. Because his legs are shattered. They carry him around the town before bringing him to the gallows where thousands of people gather to watch. And sadly, when the executioner opens the door, the rope snaps and unfortunately Urban falls directly into the bonfire below and burns to death, which is exactly what he was afraid of. Oh, it's so awful. But the church and the crown and the town are like, we feel righteous. Urban is dead. Evil has been done away with. But no, because these possessions continued for two and a half more years. This is such a long period yes. of time. What What is it in total? Like so four or five years? So let's see. The date it started, it was like September 11th, 1632. And finally on February of 1637. So it's five years. Five years. That's crazy. Mother Superior Jean has a dream and she's visited by an angel. And the next morning she wakes up free of demons. Poof, gone. And if you remember... These possessions occurred just two years after the city of Loudun was struck by the deadly outbreak of the plague. They also occurred on the heels of a power vacuum. The crown was trying to consolidate power and wanted to demolish the walls around Loudun. The Huguenots protested, and it became a bit of a power struggle between the Catholics who supported the crown and the Protestants and the Huguenots. It was like this whole, like, just uh, civil unrest. And then to add to that, the plague claimed so many lives of Ludun, and there was just so much apprehension about the future. And so there's so much anxiety and it set the scene for the witchcraft trials, you know, like it was just like, let's point fingers at right. everyone to blame them for all of this unrest. And there's a lot of debate. Well, and the the woman, the, what was her name? The head Jean. nun, Jean, apparently she had also like right before the hangings and execution happened, I heard that she had put a like noose around yes. her neck and and ran and basically like attempted to confess that it was all made up and then tried to hang herself which yeah. people saved her the other nun saved her but that was used as even more Proof. fuel for the fire yeah. being like oh look at the influence he has over her like of course she's now trying to like this demon and and this priest possessing her is right. trying to save him at the last hour. Yeah. But we've all seen what we need yeah. to see. And there's other nuns, too, who are like, no, like, Urban is innocent. But, like, it's so hard because, I, I mean, from what I'm picturing, it's like there's moments of clarity where these nuns seem to be free of the possessions. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. the demons are coming through them all the time. And then there's moments of, like, intense possessive state. So it's just, it feels like chaos to me. 
And there's a lot yeah. of debate over whether the possessions were real or not. And then when it first happened, it was like this way of being like, oh, look, we're going to show the Protestants that God is with the Catholic Church because if the priests can exercise these demons, that means God is on our side. And if they renounce the possessions as a hoax, it basically is like a bad look for the church and the nuns. So they're like, totally. so no one's going to say these are yeah. fake. And then – yeah, I mean, at the trial, the nuns are determined both by church and state to have been possessed. And only later did people believe that the nuns had chosen to endure the possessions for the glory of the church. Some people say the nuns were sharing in delusion after spending so much time in quarantine, but this is five years. And then others I know. say- And to subject yourself to that that much pain and that much torture and that much ridicule daily. Yeah. I can't imagine just willingly- being of sound mind and body and then willingly doing that just for the church. I know. So this is an interesting one because apparently some people say that this was all an inside job to take Urban down because like we said about him, he was kind of a polarizing person in the society and kind of was a threat to the church. So apparently they feared that the town of Loudun was giving into Protestant religion and that Loudun was like mm. by speaking out against celibacy and like things that the church was doing – it was kind of taking away their legi legitimacy. So apparently the plan was to stage a series of possessions and exorcisms to prove, hey, look, the church is in God's favor. And then um, because of multiple people knowing of the, about this plan, Richelieu, who's the three musketeer guy who doesn't like Uran, apparently piggybacked on the plan and was like, oh, I'm going to use this plan to take out someone I don't like. And then people believe the plan went out of hand that like, Sister Jeanne and like the nuns didn't really know how long they were supposed to do it. It's basically like to me, I do, there's part of me that's like, okay, like I do think there is some political orchestration happening here because it does seem like they took out someone who really truly in symbolized the civil unrest, right? Which is our bun. But right. it feels like it's hard because it's like, how do all of the nuns go through this for five years? Yeah. Right. That's such a long time period. I did hear too that the, the head nun, I can never remember her uh, name. Sister Jeanne Desagnes. Okay. Yeah. She, I think there had been rumors too that she had tried to have him come in after that priest had passed away and was like appearing with the white book yeah. or whatever. The, the priest that was executed and supposedly possessing all of these people with his pact with these demons and devil that they had actually asked him to come in and take his place basically like as oh. the confessional priest and that he either said no or hadn't uh, responded or something. Mm. And so there were, were some suspicions that maybe this was like their way. Revenge. Or some backlash. Yeah, exactly. That they were resentful that he wasn't willingly and excitedly skipping into the convent to take over this position. And so that just added to the fuel of all these people being really frustrated with him and hating him. Yeah. I mean, it's so complicated. And I think because it was so long ago, there's no way to know for sure what was real and what wasn't. But like, I do, there's part of me that like, let's just say it started out fake. If you're faking possession and you're faking demonic stuff, if I'm a demon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go over there. Right. That's a good point. It could start out right. like that and then very quickly turn into the real thing, which is such a, that's actually a pretty baller move <laughs> if you were a demon because all of the things that happen like if you're setting this up and you're you're trying to fake it there's definitely evidence or slip-ups that will eventually contribute to people being like oh they're faking yeah. it this can't be true and so now as the as the demon you already have that on your side where people are going to 
discover these other things and be like, oh, clearly this isn't yeah. actually a possession, but it is it now. Is. You're winning. And and then there's like also more debate because so Sister Jean, the mother superior nun at um, the Ludon convent, becomes kind of a celebrity after all of this. And she's considered saintly by a lot of people. Like even after her death, her head is preserved. And um, I think, I don't know where it is now, but her head was preserved. Oh. And then okay. the Ursuline convent in Ludon becomes recognized as like a ho- holy place, which is so interesting because it's almost like the most unholy thing happened here. Right. This should be like everybody's moved out, caution tape around the whole convent. This doesn't make any sense. No. So whatever it was, these possessions lasted years and years, five years. And it doesn't seem like it's something easy to fake. And the fear of witches and packs with the devil spread throughout France and eventually to the Americas. And we know what happened. From there, whether it was real or not, many innocent men, women, and children were killed for crimes they did not commit. And it seems like many of these women, Mm. the nuns, believed that they were possessed or became possessed or political powers were possessing and pulling the puppet strings, whatever it may be. So a possession occurred in Ludon. A mass Mass possession possession. at that, which is just so wild to think. Not only is it multiple people, but the duration of these possessions is also just, it blows my mind that this happened. Five years is a really long time. Very long time. Did you learn at all about, I have no idea how much truth there (laughs) is to this, but the like supposed curse that happened after that? What happened? So upon his attempted hanging and then inevitable burning, the priest who was convicted apparently said something out loud to the another priest or, mm. or whoever was like the main finger pointer and and said like you won't even last the month before dying and that guy did die within the month and then a bunch of other people that were involved in his execution and his the the trial also died there are multiple people who died soon after what yeah so I don't know. Maybe there. Maybe this was a curse. I don't know if. I mean, perhaps this is. He also was the person orchestrating this demonic yeah. possession. But part of me thinks like maybe this was an act of God or yeah. like an angel or something that was like, "Look at what you've done. This is so not how you're supposed to operate." And killed all these people for. I mean, thou shalt not murder, right? right? You, yeah, I mean <laughs> that. Yeah. What the hell? And then also, isn't one of the commandments that you're not supposed to lie? And then that everybody gets upset if you don't say the lie that you're trying to make those people confess to? It's all so backwards. It's very backwards. It's kind of hypocritical. But yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's a part of history that is so tragic and upsetting. I mean, so much of our history, so much of even what's happening today in our lives is like just so upsetting and like feels so inhuman yes. or inhumane. And I just, it's hard to wrap my mind around and understand what really is happening or why it's even happening and why so many people are allowing it to happen. Like it's not just one person accusing someone. It is an entire society coming against a person. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's so many examples throughout the world and throughout history of that happening, but clearly like this is something that sometimes it's hard to recognize when you're living through it. Yeah. And so I understand that like the people in the 1600s might not have the wherewithal or, or the the foresight or whatever to recognize what's going on. But clearly this affected all of us for so long because it's, you know, 400 years later and we st- everyone knows what the witch trials yeah, are. Everyone. Yeah. And this is just another. Man, thanks for covering that. That demonic is. Demonic possession. Wild. And there's so many. So this, there's, is, this is. There's so uh, many stories of like convents of 
nuns just having possessions and experiencing like I am Provence was just one and then Ludan is another and then there I was looking it was just like see similar and it was just like a bunch of different convents of possessions so um if people are interested there's so oh many gosh. to read about there's also books and books and books Richard Gallagher who you talked right. about last week actually mm -hmm. I think he first reading about the Ludan possession is one of the things that kind of got him to start to like believe or want to be interested in the in possession cases yeah this is also reminding me a little bit of the episode you did where you did the it was like the mass hysteria dancing yeah. thing but this is this is so, so much worse, worse. <laughs> yes man do you have a listener story for Crazy. us okay well i do this is from tyler okay says, hello, two girls, one ghost crew. My name is Tyler. They, them pronouns. Hopefully you will read this because golly goodness, it oh is gosh. scary. Okay. So all of the stories I'm about to share happened over the span of several years in the house that I grew up in for most of my life. It all started with my mom and brother. One day they were sitting in our living room watching TV, minding their own business, when all of a sudden there was this loud crash. My mom and brother immediately go to check it out. And when my mom and brother got to the area where the noise occurred, they found a bookshelf that used to have books lining the top shelf. All the books on the top shelf had flown across the room and slammed what? against the wall, except for one. Can you guess which one? The Bible. If you guess the Holy Bible, you are oh, correct. This immediately startled them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, me uh -huh. too. I remember my mom and brother telling me about this and not believing them because I used to be a huge scaredy cat growing up, so I just thought that maybe they were trying to mess with me. But then something happened to oh, me. no, Tyler. About a year or so later, I'm up early getting ready for school, and when I go to sleep, I usually wear pajama bottoms and no shirt. Ooh, scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I get out of bed and I go to, the, to my room's door. We lived in a two-story house where upstairs there was my room at the very end of a hall. The computer room on the right and on the left of the hall was my parents' room and the bathroom right before the stairs. It was a really small hallway, and I never liked it. Anywho, I open the door and I see my mom standing at the end of the hallway. I say good morning and get no response. Still standing in my doorway, the figure starts moving towards me. I quickly realize this is not my mom. This figure was wearing a long white gown that went past its feet, oh, no. making it impossible to see them. Even though I couldn't see the figure's feet, I could tell that it was floating. It was not walking. Oh, no. It slowly kept getting closer. As it got closer, I could tell it had long black hair and its neck was <gasps> bent to the left in an unnatural manner. I am frozen. Oh, no. I can't move. And this thing is getting closer. It gets about six feet away from me, turns, and goes into my parents' room without opening the oh, door. Oh, my God. As soon as it's out of sight, I can move again. I close my door very quickly and I sit in my room for a while, hoping to collect myself and <laughs> calm down. After what felt like forever, I finally got up enough courage to leave my room. I go downstairs to find my mom standing in the kitchen and I ask her if she was up there earlier standing in our hallway, to which she responds, no. I tell her what I saw and I get my lunch and things ready for school. If you recall from earlier in the story where I mentioned I don't wear a shirt to bed, my mom asks what happened oh, to my no. back. I have no clue what she's talking about. We go over to the restroom and look in the mirror, and I am shocked at what I oh, see. No. On my back are multiple red streaks that almost look like scars. The red streaks are not bleeding. They look like deep scars or almost burns. They're super red as if they just happened, but look like scars like they've been oh there forever. Gosh. We both freak out not knowing what to do or what is going on, so I get ready for school and I go about my day. Later that day, we told my stepdad about what happened, and to no surprise, he does not believe us. Oh, no. 
until the day he had his run-in with whatever was in our house. Oh my house. gosh, this is so scary. I love that they're just collecting believers yeah. along the way. And yeah. also, but for Tyler to not have felt that, it's almost, and, and it's like the entity right. was in front of Tyler. So for it to get behind Tyler. Yeah, it makes me wonder when yeah. it happened. Was it when they were asleep in bed Ooh. or did it happen literally when they were face-to-face oh. with this creature? I don't like it. Watching it. I mean, it sounds like Tyler was almost in this trance, yeah. you know, like I think part of the fear of seeing something like that is that your body just freezes. It's like, you know, you have the fight or flight or freeze. Yeah. But part of this seems like it was it was keeping Tyler there. I and maybe that. it did scratch them then. Okay, what happened next? One day my stepdad is at home alone playing video games. One thing you should know is that my dad was in the military, so we keep every door closed at all times and the front door is always locked, even when we are at home. He's playing his video games when all of a sudden one of the doors upstairs creaks open and then slams shut. Nope. He pauses his game and he listens to see if anything else happens. Nothing. So he goes back to playing. And then he hears the door slowly creak oh open and slam so shut creepy. again. Some, <laughs> some are probably thinking, couldn't it have just been the air kicking on and off making the door slam shut? Well, I could usually see that being a possibility, but we didn't have central air cooling or heating in this house. So he yells, stop, and everything goes silent. <laughs> Nothing else ever happened again like that in our house at Okay, least. stepdad being powerful. Right? It's like, okay, I'll leave, but I'm moving somewhere else. The next bit is where it gets even worse. My brother wasn't living at home with us at this point and wasn't around very often. One day, out of nowhere, he calls my old youth pastor and asks him to come over to our grandma's house. He doesn't say much more than that, but my old youth pastor could could tell something was wrong. He rushes over to my grandma's to find my brother sitting on the steps that lead up to her house. My old youth pastor asks my brother what's going on. He looked up, his eyes completely black, and says, something's (gasps) wrong. My brother then gets up and walks inside, my old youth pastor following. Side note, my grandparents weren't home at this time. Once inside, my brother collapses onto the floor and then starts floating a few inches off the floor. My old youth pastor, who used to be a bodybuilder, immediately throws himself on top of my brother to try to keep him on the ground. Oh, man, it's just like your mom. Sounds like my mom when I was. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My old youth pastor begins praying like crazy in hopes that it will work. Slowly, my brother descends back to the ground, eyes back to normal, confused about what just happened. Oh, my gosh. After that, nothing else happened in our house or to any of us. Not sure exactly how to explain it or what exactly it was, but it will forever be stuck in my brain. Hopefully, I didn't scare you all too much. Thanks for reading. Love you all. And thank you for the wonderful podcast. Tyler, I am i don't even know where to begin. Like, this is so – like, the fact that it just stopped and there's no answer, there's no understanding of where it came from or why it targeted them. It right. just – and every single person in Tyler's family was impacted by this. And it, it, I feel like there's no ramp up period. It just happened. The escalation is just like zero to a hundred. It's like, oh, here's suddenly a demon scratching you and possessing your brother. It almost makes me wonder because I think there was in the most recent Conjuring movie. I think they talk about this, but an entity will like come into a home and try to like feel out everyone who's there before picking their target. Mm. And it feels like this entity targeted everyone in the house and then decided maybe they weren't weak enough for them to try to possess. Yeah. Or there there was just too much interference, right? Yeah. Like too many people around willing to help right. right away. So perhaps the whatever tether they were trying to make Ugh. 
couldn't fully be bound because people were stepping in. Thank goodness for Tyler and their family. I know. I'm glad Tyler's brother was still able to call the youth pastor because it sounds like he was very aware that there was something bad happening and that he was about to be targeted. And I mean, he was he was basically possessed when the youth pastor showed up. Like his eyes were black, but still he part of him was able to come forward and say, like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like he was fighting that thing inside of him. Unsettling. Yeah. To close this out, hope everyone's staying safe and cleanses your space only allowing light and positivity in and uh, we love you all mm-hmm. and if you've been possessed email us two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com but don't send your demons after <laughs> Please us don't. we will send them back yes return to sender you can re- rate and review us on itunes you can watch us on youtube you can tell everyone about us we have merch some of that merch is stickers that has a little QR code to our podcast. So you can stick them on your water yeah. bottle, leave them at your local cafe sticker bulletin mm-hmm. board, do whatever. Join the join pyramid the scheme. pyramid scheme and join our Patreon. We um we'll do a live stream together when we're together. Yes, we do one every, every month, month. But you and I will be together in October, and so we'll be sitting next to each other for the next live Woo. stream. Woo. Thank you to our editors, Aiden Manning, Eric Foster, Max Lodian, the entire team at FIRE Digital. Thank you for uh, (laughs) all of your help editing our podcast. Uh, We are very grateful for you. And we do hope everyone stays safe and we get to meet you, the non-possessed version (laughs) of you on the side. But if we don't, we We will see you on the other other side. side.